0: Calvary Chapel. Good to see everyone here again. I hope that uh, we had a a little bit of a change of pace last week. I hope the the missions update was enjoyable for those of you that were here. Um, I heard good things about it. Um, So I enjoyed a little bit of a break last week. Went out camping with my family for a few days, so that was good. A little bit of an adventure with small kids, but it was fun. Um, But I'm excited to be back here again uh, with you all as we study God's Word. Uh, as most of you probably know we 're continuing our study verse by verse through the Old Testament, and we find ourselves in the book of judges this evening uh, so Judges is an interesting book as we 've seen there 's a lot in here uh, that maybe we wouldn 't expect uh, when we open up the Bible to read something uh, there 's some things that are um, what we what are typical when we study the scriptures we see you know encouragement we see um, truth being taught but there's some some things we see in the book of judges that are a bit shocking at times too and judges shows us so much of what happens when people turn away from god and follow after their own selfish and sinful desires uh, so Judges falls chronologically in between um, the, con- or the exodus of Israel out of Egypt, their conquest of the land of Canaan, and then uh, the time of the kings where the nation of Israel was really established and came into its own. And so during the period of the Judges, uh, we have these regional kind of tribal heads who were ruling over the people of Israel at different times. Um, kind of just helping them with the problems they had, and God would raise up special leaders out of this group from time to time in order to help bring Israel back to faithfulness. And so a key to understanding the book of judges we 've touched on this a few times, uh, we have the cycle of the judges up there on the screen. And so the people of Israel forget what God did for them, they turn away from him, they begin to worship the false gods to live in sinfulness. and so we have that at the top under unfaithfulness. God in his faithfulness to the unfaithful people, sends a foreign entity or someone to oppress the people of Israel, to remind them that they need to turn back to God, to follow after him, and to obey him. Uh, This oppression leads the people of Israel to repentance. They cry out to God for help. God sends a judge, someone to deliver them, to lead them back to him, to help them have victory over their enemies, And things are good for a while, and then they forget, and the cycle starts all over again. Uh, So we're going to, tonight, be introduced to probably one of the more famous judges in the book. Uh, So tonight we start the story of Samson. And Samson's story is similar to many that we see in the book of Judges, that we're going to see God do some great things with someone who has some pretty serious issues. Uh, This guy is far from perfect in many ways. Uh, But the good news is where we are at right now in chapter 13, uh, this is going to be kind of a nice little breather from what we've been seeing in the book of Judges. The last few weeks we've seen just the results of sin and all their gory details. We've seen uh, all the problems that come from people forgetting who God is and turning away from Him. And this week we get to see just a little picture of what it looked like for a few people that were remaining faithful to God during this time that even in the midst of really wholesale unfaithfulness and idolatry on the part of the people of Israel there were a few that we see at least that remained faithful to God held fast to him and were obedient to him in the midst of that and so it's kind of a nice little breather seeing uh, just these people doing what's right when they're surrounded by those doing what is wrong um so we see a lot of cool things here with this, but our focus point tonight, kind of um, where we're, we're drilling in on kind of the, the theme that's going to tie all of this together this chapter tonight, is that a faithful God deserves our faith. And that's so much of the story of Judges, that we see the people of Israel be unfaithful to God, turn away from God, forget him and disobey him. But God is still faithful over and over and over again to send help to his people, to send rescue to them, to deliver them from not just their outside enemies, but from the consequences of their own sinfulness and the mistakes they made. And we see through the book of Judges that people don't just need help with our outside problems, that we need help with ourselves. We need God to rescue us from the sin that dwells within us. That is our biggest problem. So we're going to see a little bit of that here tonight too. So let's go ahead and get started in the narrative here. We're going to be picking up in Judges chapter 13, verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines, For 40 years. So we're going to stop briefly right there. Uh, So this, again, is nothing new in many ways. We've seen this cycle repeated over and over. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, That God had previously delivered them from their enemy. And things went well. They forgot about God. They did what was wrong in God's sight. And so God allowed them to be oppressed by a different people group. Again, this has happened several times here. Um, A good reminder, we've touched on this before as well, is that evil, right and wrong, are defined by God. That it doesn't matter what culture says, what popular opinion is, what those around us are saying. That right and wrong matters as it is defined by God. God. And so it's so important for us to remember that uh, as we live in this world where right and wrong are so often seen as relative or something that can change and morph given the situation and varies from person to person. Uh, We're reminded that God has defined right and wrong, that God has given consequences for wrong, and that God desires to see people do what is right. And so because of that, God sent, we're told, the Philistines to oppress the people of Israel for 40 years. And so they're experiencing the natural consequences of their own sin and their own choices to do what is wrong. Uh, That God is faithful to the people in this situation by sending the Philistines to oppress them. Uh, This section is also notable because it's the first mention we see here of the Philistines oppressing the nation of Israel. Uh, If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you're probably have heard about the Philistines before. We think about David and Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine. He was probably the most well-known Philistine. Uh, So the Philistines are a people group that had settled along the Mediterranean coast next to the people of Israel. A lot of scholars believe that they actually migrated from somewhere in the Mediterranean, possibly the island of Crete, and had come in large numbers to dwell along that Mediterranean coast right next to the people of Israel, sometime shortly after the Israelites had conquered the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. So they're kind of relative newcomers to the area, but as they settled along that coastal plain they began to become more and more powerful and to press farther and farther into the land of Israel. And so this is going to be something that's going to be a problem for the people of Israel for generations. We see the Philistines are kind of the arch enemy of the nation of Israel during much of their time in the land of Canaan. Um, And so this is the first mention of that we see here um, as far as them being present in large numbers and being a problem for the nation of Israel. So they turn away from God. God sends this new people group to oppress them for 40 years. And a lot of the time in the book of Judges we see at this point it'll tell us the people of Israel cried out to God for help. uh, That they realized something was wrong. They realized they had done something wrong and that the false gods that they were worshipping, the sinful acts they were engaging in were not going to be enough to save them. And so they cry out to God. We don't See that here in this passage, that the people of Israel at this point had gone so far that they didn't even think to seek God's help anymore. That they either resigned themselves to being oppressed by the Philistines or they become comfortable living amongst the Philistines and being caught up in some of their lifestyle and their practices. Either way, this is not a good place or a good time for the people of Israel that they've forgotten their God and they're suffering because of it and they don't even know what they should do to deal with the problem. Fortunately for the people of Israel, God knew what they needed even when they either didn't know or were unwilling to do what was necessary. And so we're going to see God step into the situation here and do some amazing things in order to help people that didn't know how to get help. Uh, so back to verse 2 of Judges 13. There was a certain man of Zora of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. It's interesting as we read through the scriptures to notice how often there's similarities between different passages and different situations. We see God doing his work oftentimes in a similar fashion at different times and different places. In these verses here, we're introduced to a man. Uh, We're told that he's from the clan of Zora, the tribe of Dan, that this guy's name is Manoah. And we're not given the wife or the name of his wife, excuse me, Uh, but we are told in verse 2 that his wife was barren and had no children. And so his wife, they're just going about their lives one day. Uh, Again, we're not told a lot about their background. Uh, but we understand that an angel appears to his wife and gives her this great message. Hey, you are going to conceive a son, that even though you've been unable to have children, probably for years, they'd been trying and failed at this, that God was going to give them a son. And not only was God going to give them the son, that he was going to give them a son who would fulfill a very special role. That this would be someone who would do great things for the nation of Israel, and that he would be set apart to God in a special way. I think it's so encouraging when we read through this that we're reminded of God's care for the suffering. Uh, We think about Manoah and his wife. Um, I imagine most of us have probably known someone at some point in our lives who has struggled to conceive children. And we understand just a little piece of the pain that brings when a couple desperately wants to grow their family, to bring children into the world, to be blessed by God in this manner, but they can't. And we think about how difficult that is in our own society, our own day and age, for those around us. And we think about how much more so that would have been in this age, in this culture, as recorded here. Um, and that family was so important to not just the nation of Israel, but to society in general at this point, and that women didn't have a lot of opportunities for employment outside the home at this point either. Uh, we see a lot of the laws in the earlier parts of the Old Testament were designed to protect widows and orphans, especially when they had no other family to care for them. That put them in a very vulnerable, difficult place within society. So not only did Minoan have his wife have to struggle with the pain of not being able to have children, but also the uncertainty of what her future might look like, knowing that odds are she would probably outlive her husband and who would be left to care for her at that point, that she would have to fend for herself in a world that was very harsh and difficult to women in that society. Um, This is a family who was having a hard time, I'm sure, in many ways. As we read this, uh, we're reminded of other areas of Scripture that seem very familiar. As we read these words um, in verses uh, 3, 4, and 5, I believe, it sounds familiar. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman said to her, Behold, you are barren of born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Uh, that we think about different areas of Scripture. We've seen this story before. Uh, we think about Sarah and Rebecca earlier on in Genesis. Uh, we think about the story of Hannah coming up when we get to 1 Samuel, of Elizabeth in the book of Luke, uh, that God showed special care for these women who had lived lives struggling in this area, unable to do what was expected as normal of them. But God was faithful to use that for good and for his glory. And we're reminded that God cares for us and for our pains. That God knew Manoah and his wife. That he knew what they were facing. And God cared about them. And all of us... Have and will continue to face struggles and difficulties and pains in life. That's the nature of life in a fallen world. But how encouraging is it that we can know that God cares for us in the midst of that, that God knows our suffering, He hears our cries, and maybe. Maybe he will step into that situation as he did here and bring words of hope and encouragement and bring us out of that situation. And maybe he will use that difficulty and continue life in that difficulty to bring about some other end for his good purposes. But we know regardless that God cares, that God hears for us, and that God is there for us in the midst of our pain. Uh, So the angel speaks to Manoah's wife and he gives her some very specific instructions. He tells her, hey, you're going to conceive, you're going to have a son. And then he says in verse four, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. And then he says also that no razor shall come upon his head for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. Uh, So Manoah's wife is told that they're going to have a son and that she needs to follow these special instructions because their son is going to be a Nazarite set apart for God from before he was born. Uh, that God had a special plan in mind for this man even before his birth. God was doing some great things here. And so we look at what it means to be. A Nazarite. Uh, so, Samson's kind of the most famous example of this person. Uh, the instructions for the Nazarite vow are actually found in the book of Numbers. We went over that sometime back when we were studying there. Uh, so, a Nazarite vow was a vow that a person normally would take willingly as an adult for a set period of time to set themselves apart for special work to god uh, they would live kind of an extra level of holiness and dedication before god in order to do something to honor and glorify him and so it was a vow they would take for a certain amount of time generally and there were different regulations they were to follow so that people would know they were doing this uh, to remind themselves of the importance of what they're doing uh, so numbers chapter six uh, verses one through five we see the directions for this um God says to Moses, speak to the people of Israel, say them, when either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink and shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes fresh or dried. All the days of separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins." All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall touch his head. Until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord, he shall be holy. He shall let the locks of hair of his head grow long. And so it continues on a little bit in uh, Numbers chapter 6, just giving some more specifics of that. But that's kind of the main thrust of this Nazarite vow, uh, that someone would take this vow to separate themselves to God, that they would abstain not just from drinking alcohol, but even from consuming any grape products, anything that would be associated with wine, with strong drink. Uh, With that, he would not be allowed to touch anything that uh, had died, they would not be able to make himself ceremonially unclean according to Old Testament law, and that he would not be able to cut his hair at all until the end of his vow. When his vow was closed, um, we're told that they would go actually ceremonially cut off the rest of his hair and burn it on the altar as an offering to God, uh, just kind of really emphasizing the conclusion of this period of time that they had set aside to God. So Samson were told um, that his parents were given specific instructions that he was to be set apart this way, not just for a period of time, but for his whole life. That he was to be set apart for God from before he was even born. Uh, That God had a special plan in mind for this man. And that he was to live his entire life According to this Nazarite vow, that he was to be set aside for the purpose of glorifying God and seeking Him all his life, uh, that God had a plan for this man. That's an interesting side note, too, as we read through this. We're just reminded uh, that God values life, that Samson's parents were given specific instructions for him before he was born, uh, that his life was was important, was valuable to God, and was indeed a life before His birth, uh, that life begins early on, and that God sees that very importantly. Uh, but we think about what it looks like to separate ourselves for God's work. First uh, Peter, chapter two verse nine, says that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so much like Samson, we all have a special call upon our lives, those of us who have committed to following Jesus, who have surrendered ourselves to him and call him our Lord and Savior, that we have a special calling on our life, uh, that we don't have to necessarily follow those same specific instructions as Samson, um, that we're allowed to have our hair cut and do different things. Um, But when we read through this, it's good to think about what would it look like to separate myself for the work of God. Uh, That's something that we have to do at some level each day, that our lives are called to be lived in faithfulness to the God who purchased our redemption from our sins. And I think there are different seasons of life for a lot of people as well. Um, I think, you know, we, we look at the different priorities we have, the different things we're doing, the ways we're spending our time, spending our days, spending our lives. I do think at times that God calls us to dedicate different seasons of that to him in specific ways. Uh, That could be spending a period of time serving God in a more time-intensive manner, spending time in prayer and study of his word in a way that you wouldn't normally be able to do. Um, I think even something like uh, short-term mission trips or different things like that, you could see in a similar manner that I have chosen this period of time, that I am setting this aside, dedicating it holy to the worship of God and obedience to him. And again, some level of this should mark every part of our lives. Uh, but I do think that at times God can call people to even go that extra level, to spend a period of time really focusing on seeking him and seeing what he would have us do and what he would do through us. Uh, that God can accomplish great things with people who are wholeheartedly devoted to him and to what he has called us to. So the angel speaks to Manoah's wife, uh, kind of gives the rundown of what's going to happen, that even though they haven't had a child yet, that they're going to have one, and he is going to do great things. He's going to be a Nazarite set apart to God. And we also see in verse 5. It says that he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And God knew before all this happened, before Samson came, that defeating the Philistines would be a tall order. Uh, He knew that this is something that Samson would not wholesale accomplish, that it's going to be something that would take time, uh, that it would be an ongoing process. But he was going to start those first steps of saving them from the hand of their oppressors through the work of this son that had yet to be born. So Manoah's wife comes back, explains what happened to her husband. This man came and spoke to me um, and his appearance, she says in verse six, was very awesome, like the appearance of an angel of God. Um, So she tells him what's gonna happen And we see Manoah's response here in verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, "'Behold, the man who came to me the other day "'has appeared to me.' "'And Manoah rose and went after his wife "'and came to the man and spoke to him. "'Are you the man who spoke to this woman?' "'And he said, "'I am.' "'And Manoah said, "'Now when your words come true, "'what is to be the child's manner of life, "'and what is his mission?' "'And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, "'Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. "'She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine,' Neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. So the angel first appears to Manoah's wife, tells her what's going to happen. She explains it to her husband, and her husband goes out, Manoah, in verse 8, and he prays to God. He asked God to send whoever it was, this man, this messenger, send him back. Uh, to tell us what we're supposed to do with this child. Uh, that he is floored that God would do this, that God would speak to them in this way, that God would give them this promise. And he wants more information. He wants more instructions. And I love the response we see in this, that Manoah hears these words, he doesn't doubt them, he believes them, and his first step is to go to God in prayer. That he knows that he needs to seek God in order to do this well. He realizes that the commission the angel has given him is going to be a difficult one to fulfill. That he knows he's going to need help and instruction from God. And so he seeks out more of that. So he prays to God, asking him to send this man again to come teach us what we're to do with this child. In verse 9, it tells us that God listened to the voice of Manoah. I love these words here, uh, that we see a man who's put in an interesting situation, that he's living in the nation of Israel at a time where idolatry and sin was running rampant over the nation, that people had oftentimes forgotten God completely, we're told in some of the earlier times of the judges, uh, that they'd begun worshiping just the idols of the people around them and forsaken the worship of God altogether in some cases, uh, that there's big problems going on, that this nation has turned away from its Savior. And Manoah's is living in the midst of this, suffering in many ways, that their life had not followed the trajectory I imagine they had planned for it up to this point, point. and they hear this messenger come and tell them, things are going to change big things are going to change and it's going to change the nation of Israel. And so his response is to pray to God and we're told that God listened to him. That's such a great reminder for us today uh, that I think sometimes when we pray, it feels like we're not accomplishing anything, like we're not doing anything. Sometimes it can feel like nobody hears us or cares for us. And there may have been times in Manoah's life earlier on where he felt the same way. That he probably had prayed to God that they might be able to have children. uh, That God would be with them. That God would bless them in this manner. And it probably felt like God wasn't hearing or wasn't caring. But we see in this case that God knew. And God not only heard the prayers of Manoah, that God listened Them. And that's so encouraging for us today to realize that God not only hears our prayers, we know as we're told in the scriptures, but God listens to them and God answers them. That it might not be the answer we're looking for, it might not be at the time we're looking for, but when things are difficult, when we face trials and temptations and struggles, when we are praising God for the good things, we can be confident knowing that He hears us that he listens to us and that he will respond one way or another. It might not be how we expect him to. It might not be the answer we want to hear. But we know that God will hear us and that God will do what is best for us in the long run. So God heard the prayer of Manoah and listened to it and sent the messenger back again. Uh, So he appears to Manoah's wife uh, when her husband wasn't with her. So she goes and runs quickly and grabs him and brings him back. She says, hey, this guy's come back. Come and talk to him. That God has answered your prayer. And so in verse 11, it says, Manoah rose when after his wife comes and asks the man, are you the one who came here before? He says that he is. In verse 12, Manoah's first questions to this messenger. He says, when your words come true, What is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? And we see a little picture here of Manoah's faith. Uh, This is a man whose first response is to pray to God, to ask God for more information, for more guidance, for more wisdom. And when he has the opportunity to do that, he speaks to this messenger. And he says, When your words come true? Not how do I know your words are going to come true, not if your words are true. He says, when your words come true, what are we to do with this child? What is his life going to be like? What is his mission going to be? It's a great picture of faith that God has given a word and he seizes upon it instantly, holds to it, and acts upon it. Uh, That when God guides us, when God gives us wisdom through his word, through prayer, whatever it may be, that we want to be quick to grab onto that, to hold to it, to take it to heart, and to act on it. Uh, that when God has spoken, we can move forward in confidence knowing that he will be faithful. Uh, that God has proven himself time and time and time again in his word, in our own lives, in the lives of those around us, to be faithful. And so we have to remember that and hold on to those words so that we might move forward in faith. So he asks this man what he's to do with this child, uh, what his mission, his manner of life is going to be. Uh, the angel's response is interesting. He kind of reiterates what he's already told her. Verse 13, he says, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, or eat any unclean thing, All that I commanded her, let her observe. Uh, So in some ways, it almost feels like kind of a non-answer. He asks the the messenger, hey, what's this child's life going to be like? What's his purpose going to be? What mission is he trying to fulfill? And the angel says, remember what I told you guys before? So tell your wife, don't drink wine, stay clean, um, do all this stuff, obey what I've commanded you. And so at this point in time, God was not giving further instructions to them. He wanted them to trust what he was doing, to walk in faith, and to remember all that he had already taught them in his word. Uh, That we see so much of the Old Testament law that God delivered to the nation of Israel focused on how they were to live their lives, how they were to be a nation set apart in holiness to God, and how they were supposed to raise their children to honor and glorify God. And so I think at this point in time, the angel's really telling them, hey, I've given you all the instructions you need. Go look back at my word. Remember what I have told you before and use the tools I have given you to raise this child in a way that honors me, that honors God. And so that's essentially where he leaves it. I think another interesting thing to look at in these passages too is to consider the impact that parents have upon their children. Uh, That the angel's instructions were for Manoah's wife to set herself apart in holiness in the same manner that Samson was to live his life. Uh, That how she carried herself, what she did, how she lived while she was bearing this child would have an impact on that child's future. And I think that's a great picture, really, of the responsibility of parenting. Again, we think about the commands in the Old Testament law. Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells the nation of Israel to pass on these words, to speak of them with your family when you rise up and when you lay down, when you walk along the way, that it was to be constantly on their lips, on their minds, on their hearts, that they were to saturate their children in the word of God and in God's ways that they might know God early on and understand what he expected of them so that they could live life in accordance with that. That parents have a profound opportunity to impact their children and their future. Unfortunately with Samson, as we get into later chapters, we'll see that he uh, strayed quite a bit from that upbringing. But the command that God gave Manoah and his wife was to do everything they could in order to start him out on the right path, that he might obey God, know God, and do great things for God. And so Manoah continues his conversation with the angel in verse 15. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord." For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtil. So Manoah has this interaction with uh, with this messenger, with this angel, uh, gets kind of a, a non answer from him. Hey, keep doing what you're doing, what we've already told you to do. And then Manoah says, "Hey, stay here. Let's let me prepare some food for you. I'm um, going to bless you for this blessing that you've given us." And the angel re- responds, "If you keep me here, I'm not going to eat your food. Why don't you make a sacrifice to God instead?" And we're told in verse 16 that Manoah did not know that it was the angel of the Lord. Uh, They probably at this point were assuming this was some sort of a prophet or some man who had been wandering on the earth and had given this special message on behalf of God. Uh, So this is one of those instances where we read a lot of the time we see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. Uh, Most scholars believe that this is an appearance of Jesus before his incarnation, uh, that he from time to time, would come down to the earth to bring messages, to bring encouragement, to interact with people here in the world and then go back to his place in heaven. Um, so Manoah doesn't realize this. He thinks he's a man. Um, and so this man, this angel, the angel of the Lord, tells him to make a sacrifice to God. Manoah asks him in verse 17, what is your name? so that when your words come true, we may honor you. Now he's wanting to know more about this man, assuming, again, probably that he's some sort of prophet or earthly messenger from God. Uh, the, the angel's response says, why do you ask my name, in verse 18, seeing it is wonderful? Uh, so from what I've read, studying, looking at this, this passage here, it sounds like a, kind of a, a more literal, direct translation of that would be, it is too wonderful for you or if I told you, you wouldn't understand it. Uh, That my name is something special, is something that you wouldn't even get here. And so Manoah accepts this answer at some level, takes the young goat that he was going to prepare for dinner and instead makes a sacrifice of it with a grain offering on the rocks where they were standing and they offer it up to God as a sacrifice. It says in verse 20, when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. Uh, so at this point, the light bulb finally clicks on. They realize this is not a man. This is not someone normal. That uh, This is someone very unique, very special. They fall down on their faces in awe and in worship before that. And so the angel ascends in the flame from the altar and is gone. And in verse 22, Manoah says to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. That he realized the importance, the role of this messenger. And he is afraid. He realized that he had been in the direct presence of God god and of god's absolute perfect holiness that he as a fallen sinful man had talked face to face with god and so he's afraid and his wife kind of talks him back from the ledge you know helps him calm down in verse 23 his wife says if the lord had meant to kill us he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering in her hands or shown us all these things or announced such things to us. Uh, so Manoah's wife is able to kind of take a step back, think logically through the situation. Okay, why would God come here, give us this message, tell us we're going to have a child, accept our offering if we're just going to die because he you know, appeared in his holiness to our presence? That wouldn't make any sense. And really, I think in many ways, Manoah's wife is kind of the hero of this story, um, that she, were told, at some level at least, was faithful to God, that God appeared specifically to her first before he came to Manoah. And he gave her this message and this responsibility of bearing this man who would begin to save Israel. And it's interesting, too, as we read through this, we see that Manoah's wife were never told her name. That it's lost to history. For whatever reason, it wasn't recorded in the scriptures here. But this woman who was faithful to God, who knew God and his word, who was able to reason with and encourage her husband in this situation even, um, that she had a special role to play in the plans of God. And even though we don't know even her name, we can rest assured that God knows her that God knew her suffering that God knew her faith and that God knew the great work that she would do the faithfulness that she would show to him and a lot of the time following God doesn't lead to great accolades or recognition that obedience to God doesn't necessarily mean that you'll become well-known well-liked or well-recognized that oftentimes God's servants live their lives in obscurity, doing the little things day by day of faithfulness. That they're walking in faithfulness to God, obeying him, glorifying him in the small, mundane, minute details of life, and never really receiving much attention from the world for it. But we know that God knows those people, that God knows us and that God sees everything we do on his behalf. And we know that God has promised to reward those actions done for his glory when we arrive in his presence at the end of our lives. this is a great, I think, piece of encouragement for all of us, knowing that God knows all of us, that he knows our sufferings, but he also knows our obedience, that he knows the little things we do to honor him. And that he will commend us for those things when we finally arrive in his presence. Uh, we also are reminded as we read through these verses that the main star of the story, Manoah's wife did some great things. Manoah obviously did some good things and God blessed him and used him. But the main star of this story is God himself. Now the people of God were unfaithful. They had forgotten him. They had turned away from him. But God stepped into their lives. That God himself descended from heaven to bring a message of hope to these people that had all but forgotten him. That God initiated this saving without any request even from the people of Israel. They didn't even cry out to God, but God still stepped into that and was willing and able to save his people for his glory. In verse twenty-five or 24, we're told that the Lord blessed Samson. In verse 25, it says, the spirit of the Lord began to stir him, that God blessed Samson early on before he even was old enough to seek God. And God's spirit began to work through him and to guide him to stir him early on in his life that God was doing great things here and that he was using people to accomplish these things but at the end of the day God was going to save his people however he needed to whether or not the people were faithful whether or not they remembered him whether or not they sought him and so that kind of brings us full circle for tonight we Come back to that focus point that a faithful God deserves our faith. Uh, that Manoah and his wife saw what God had done, remembered what God had done, and were faithful to him. They put their faith and their trust in God because they remembered that God had been faithful to his people. The nation of Israel had sadly forgotten that for the most part. And that should give us good reason, a good reminder. That we should have faith in our God. That when we doubt, when we're unsure, when we have trials and temptations and struggles, that we can remember God's past faithfulness. Remember how God has been faithful to us in our own lives. Remember how God has been faithful to those around us. And remember how God has been faithful to his people for century after century. That God is faithful and God deserves our faith. Uh, for our New Testament connection this evening, I think, you know, as we read through this, we see so many similarities to other points in the scriptures. Uh, this promise, especially that a son would be born, I think is so telling. Um, again, in, in Judges 13, verse 3, the angel said to the woman, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. And then in verse 5, we're told that he'll be a Nazarite to God and he shall begin to save Israel. And so in this prophecy, really, telling of the coming of Samson, of the one who would begin to deliver his people from the Philistines, we see just a little glimpse of God's future plan. That much like Samson and his mother, that God would send a promise to a woman that she would bear a son. And this time, the son would not just begin to deliver his people from their external enemies, but that son would finish the work of delivering his people from their sins, from the evil that dwelt within their own hearts, not just from the enemies on the outside. Matthew 1 verse 21 so says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. How much more faithful could a God be? A God that is faithful not just to save us from the enemies and the problems that are on the outside, but to save us from our own sinfulness and the problems on the inside. A God who is willing to send his own son To live among us, to die for us, to bring us back to him. Let's go to God in prayer. Thank you, Father, for your love and your care for us. I thank you for just the wondrous story we have in the Bible of your work to redeem people unto yourself. To restore them to right relationship with you, Lord. uh, To build up that holy nation for your own possession. To live for your glory. I thank you that you were faithful to the people of Israel, um, that you sent Samson in the midst of an unfaithful nation to help them. I thank you that you have been faithful to us to send your son in spite of our sinfulness, uh, even when we are living in our own sins. Lord, that you came and died for us, that you sent Jesus to make a way for us to be with you. I pray that you would help us to remember how good and how faithful you have been that we might live lives marked by faith. I pray that you would help us to place our faith and our trust in you anew each day that we might live for your glory. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.